0: Morning. Here's a scripture from 2 Timothy 3:14 through 17 from the NIV. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Well, hey, good morning, FBC, and welcome to FBC Online. I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, My name is Pastor Matt and I, uh, well, my name is Matt, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm really glad that you are a part of our worship service this morning. Would you go ahead and open up a Bible with me to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3. We're, we're continuing this study that we've been in for several months now in the, the New Testament letter of 2 Timothy. It's a short book, only four chapters long, but we've been walking through it little by little and unpacking uh, what God is saying to us today. And so uh, we'll be in 2 Timothy, chapter Three, we've called this series Onward because it's all about looking out ahead uh, at the future and how to follow Jesus faithfully into an unknown future. And so the Apostle Paul is writing in the first century, as he's nearing his death, uh, he's writing to this young pastor named Timothy and trying to tell him, hey, uh, here's how you can remain faithful as you look out at an uncertain future. Uh, Speaking of an uncertain future, as we're recording this right now, again, we're recording this a little bit early, and so uh, I don't know if you know, but Amber is pregnant, and our baby is is due any day now. So it's it's possible that uh, the baby has already come, and we're celebrating that, I don't know, but as it stands now, the baby has not been born, but again, we're recording this advance, so as this uh, is hap- as we're watching this on November 8th here, um, we'll, we'll see. It's kind of a fun and crazy time, so I just want to put that out there. Technology is amazing that that we can record this, and I can be with you here on November 8th, even though um, maybe, I don't know, I might be in a hospital somewhere with a new baby. We'll we'll see. Uh, Would you join me, though, in in a word of prayer? Father, uh, we love you, and and Lord, we are just grateful for a chance now to worship you through singing, through prayer, uh, turning our eyes to you, and now especially by opening up your word. Lord, uh, would you teach us Would you open our eyes to see and the ears to hear? Would you help us uh, understand what you're saying to us through your word this morning? God, we give you this time. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week, we talked about this image that 2 Timothy chapter 3 gives us. And it's of the Apostle Paul as a concerned parent uh, sitting down his son, Timothy, his son in the faith, and sort of coaching him on how to prepare for and respond to an uncertain future, right? So they're sitting down in the kitchen, and Timothy's about to grab his Eggo waffles and run off to school. He's got his uh, brown bag lunch ready to go. Or maybe we get the picture of, uh, you know, Paul's taking his young son Timothy off to college, and he's dropping him off in a dorm room, and he knows he's leaving He's not going to be with Timothy much longer. And so he has to kind of coach him, encourage him, prepare him for what's ahead. Remember the context here historically. Paul is writing this letter in the first century. Paul's in prison. Okay, Paul knows his time is short. His days are numbered. Uh, he's not going to be around much longer. And so he's writing to Timothy and saying, hey, I'm not going to be here to help you in the days and months ahead. So here's what I want you to remember. Here's what's coming. And here's how I want you to respond. Right, remember, in the first nine verses of chapter 3, Paul says, hey, there's going to be some difficult things ahead. The, the times are going to be marked by challenge. Uh, terrible times are ahead. There's going to be moral decay in the world around you. There's going to be false teaching and moral decay within the church. All these difficulties. And then about halfway through the chapter, in verse 10, he shifts his focus and says really clearly to Timothy, as for you, but hey, all this is going to go on, all this uh, crazy stuff is going to be happening around you, but as for you, here's what I want you to remember. Here's what I want you to be about. And he said last week, hey, I want you to remember my example, right? We talked a lot about the example of Paul and his life and how he endured suffering and persecution for the sake of the gospel. He says, hey, remember the example that I've set. I don't want you to go the way of crazy town, okay? I want you to, to follow the model that I've set for you. And, and this week, as he continues in chapter 3, we're going to see this other uh, resource that Timothy has to help him stay the course in the days ahead. Paul's going to remind him of another resource that he has. Look at the text with me in verse 14. Again, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have been or have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, so verse 14, again, very clearly, but as for you, this is sort of the same uh, grammatical setup as verse 10 in the Greek, where it says, you, however, or but as for you. Okay, I don't want you to go the way of crazy town in verses 1 through 9. This is what I want for you. Verse 14, continue, he says, in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Verse 15, how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures. So here's the second resource Timothy has in his tool belt to face the days ahead. One, he has Paul's example, you know, verses 10 to 13 we talked about. Paul's example to follow, and now too, Timothy, you have God's word to guide you. So Paul's example and God's word. Now, boys in in pious uh, Jewish homes were taught the scriptures from an early age, often as early as age. Five. In fact, other peoples in the ancient world would often express amazement at how well uh, these Jewish boys were instructed and knowledgeable about uh, Scripture and their ancestral traditions. And we know from earlier in 2 Timothy chapter 1 a little bit about Timothy's family. Right? You remember Paul pointed out how, hey, Timothy, your grandmother Lois and your mother. Eunice were these models of faith. And they taught you from an early age the scriptures. They knew the Old Testament. And when they heard the gospel of Jesus, they believed. And Timothy, they passed that on to you. So he's saying, Timothy, you've known from an early age the power of God's word. You've been convinced of its truth. And I want you to continue in that continue in what you have learned. Now, friends, we know the importance of instilling faith in the next generation. We know the importance and how impactful it is when kids are taught about Jesus and from an early age come to understand the truths of the gospel. We've seen the lasting impact that those sorts of conversations have. Recent data shows that Two-thirds of Christians today became Christians when they were under 14 years of age. Can we say that again? Two-thirds of Christians today, uh, just about two-thirds, became Christians when they were under 14 years of age. So it's early on in life, most often, that people hear and respond to the gospel. Not that it doesn't happen after age 14. It just is a little more challenging. And so this is a reminder that that just like Timothy was taught from an early age the scriptures, so we too want to be families that teach God's word and the importance of faith in Christ to the next generation. That's why I love some of the work that Pastor Lee has been doing to equip our families to have these conversations in the home. A few weeks ago, maybe you received the the resource bag that Pastor Lee uh, sent out. And in that resource bag, there was a book Called the New City Catechism. And I just want to uh, bring that up again and reinforce how great of a tool that is. Pastor Lee talked about it. He, I know he sent out a video about it and talked about how their family uses it. I just want to share that, that our family as well, around the dinner table, uh, every night with our kids, even though Zoe's you know, three and a half and Daniel's uh, just about two, uh, we, we sit down and we bring, get out the little book And it's 52 questions and answers that are really simple and just start to put these categories and language to some biblical concepts for kids. And so every night at dinner, uh, we take a question and we just do one for the whole week. So for a whole week, we keep coming back to it. And we ask this short question. For example, one of them is the question, How can we glorify God? How can we glorify God? And then the answer is, by loving him and by obeying his commands in law. And so every night at dinner, we sit down, hey guys, how can we glorify God? There's a little Bible verse that can go with it. And then we see, we talk about it. We try to talk about it with our kids. And sometimes it it goes well. And other times they're confused or don't really know what to say. But that's okay. The point is that there's this consistency. You know, even from an early age, our kids to start to think in these categories. And even better, on the app, you can get the New City Catechism app, and there are these songs that go with every question and answer. These kid songs that really, that was a game changer for us. Like when we would just read them to Zoe, you know, she's three and a half, um, she would very uh, rarely repeat back the answer or start to say it. But then we started introducing the song, and we'd say, how can we glorify God? And she now can say back to us, by loving him and by obeying his commands. And, and, and she might not know exactly what all of that means, but we're starting to try and give her language to explain some of these truths, helping her think in biblical categories. And so I would just encourage you, again, if, if you got one of those goodie bags, to try that just every night around the dinner table. It's a really simple tool that has a big impact. And if you don't have one of those resources, the New City Catechism, uh, let, us know, uh, let us know in the chat or in the comment section on your connection card, and we would love to equip you with that as parents. <clears throat> so Paul's saying, Timothy, continue in what you have learned, how from an early age you know the scriptures. We want to model the same thing. But then look how Paul goes on, and look at what he says about the scriptures, verse 15. How from infancy you've known the holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, so this is big, people. What are the Scriptures able to do? What does the Bible do? According to Paul here, he says the Bible, the Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus, and so that's 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 what this book is about. It's able to point us to salvation. It points us to Jesus. It it tells us who God is and what God has done for us and how we can respond in faith. That's what this book is about. And, and, And that maybe looks like kind of a throwaway line like, oh, yeah, the Bible makes us wise for salvation through faith in Christ. But there's often today misunderstanding about that. People don't realize that's the purpose of the scriptures. People would say, well, what is the Bible? And seriously, think about that. How do you think maybe your neighbors, non-Christians, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're not a a part of the church and you're just tuning in, like what do you think the Bible is? What's the main intent of the Bible? Honestly, I think most people uh, outside of the church that I interact with or talk to most of the time think, well, the Bible is a book that teaches you morality, it's uh, it's a list of rules. It's the commands of God, right? The, the Ten Commandments. Uh, it, it tells us things like the golden rule, like we, we shouldn't uh, kill each other, things like that. Like it's just a big book of, of God's commands and rules and how he wants you to live. I really I think that's what most non-Christians, most people, maybe even a lot of people in the church, assume that that's what the Bible's about. Hey, it's a list of rules that we're supposed to follow. And so the Bible, Christianity in general, is is about... Being a good person, like have uh, some good morals about you, a good moral compass, some good Christian principles. That's what the Bible is about. To which I say, uh, well, sure, that's part of it. I mean, yes, yeah, the Ten Commandments are in there. There's there's plenty in the Bible about how God wants us to live. Plenty of commands to follow. Plenty of. of, of Christian ethics and morality that's built out of Scripture, absolutely, to, to know God, to love God, to love other people. How do we treat people? Don't kill people. Yep, that's, that's part of it. Uh, but that's not really the heart of what the book's about. This book is not primarily just a list of commands and rules that God says, hey, here's, go do these things, don't do these other things, and, and we'll be good. What does Paul say in verse 15? He says, the Scripture's are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what this book's really about. It's to to point you to the way of salvation. In other words, the point of this book is to, to give you the gospel message. Here's who God is. Here's what God has done for you. Here's how you can be restored into a right relationship with him. So the scriptures, both Old Testament and New Testament, are pointing us to the way of salvation, what God has done to rescue us. Tim Keller uh, summarizes the heart of the message like this. He says, Through the person and work of Jesus Christ, God fully accomplishes salvation for us, rescuing us from judgment for sin into fellowship with him, and then restores the creation in which we can enjoy our new life together with him forever. The Bible is about how God has fully accomplished salvation for us. The Bible is not a list of rules that we follow in order to be loved by God or in order to be accepted into heaven. The Bible is telling us the story of what God has already done to save us. And then all we have to do is respond in faith and trust in Jesus. He's done it all for us. And and then yes the commands and then yes the instructions on how to live a godly life and the do's and don'ts and then yes we say God because you have saved me, you have uh, adopted me into your family, you've given me a new heart and a new identity as your son as your daughter yes I want to please you, and so I want to obey your words and I want to obey these commands. But the, the word of God is primarily telling us the story of the gospel and how we might be wise for salvation in Christ and then we seek to obey. That's what Paul says here. And friends, if, you, and if you're here this morning and again, you're new to the Bible or you're new to church or you're new to this whole Jesus thing, I would encourage you to take a next step. To Today, take a step to explore Jesus and the gospel more fully. And one resource that we've developed here Uh, at the church, uh, we call it just a gospel intro, a 30-day journey exploring Jesus. Basically, there's a a short book that you read. There's a little uh, study guide that has reflection questions for you and further Bible reading for you that can just help you if you're new to this or returning to faith and want to really get back to the heart of what's this all about? What's the gospel all about? Again, there's this gospel intro. We would love to get that book and that study guide into your hands if you're interested in taking that next step. Uh, You can simply write in the chat, uh, or if you go to the connection card, fill out the connection card and just mention, hey, I'd love a copy of the gospel intro in the comment section. We would love to give that to you as our gift to you, just to help you take a next step and explore Jesus in the gospel. So, friends, Paul goes on to explain uh, why the scriptures are so foundational, why the Word of God is so central to our life As believers, look what he says in verse 15 or verse 16, excuse me. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, Paul said, Timothy, I want you to continue in what you have learned. How you've known the scriptures that can make you wise for salvation. And remember, all scripture, he says, is God-breathed. It's breathed out by God. This is actually the only place in the New Testament that this word, God-breathed, shows up. And this is one of the primary texts in all the scripture that, that teaches us and shows us about the doctrine of the inspiration of scripture. That the Bible is the inspired word of God. Not inspired in the sense that you'd think about someone's performance in a play or a, a good movie you saw and say, it was, that was inspired, that was moving, that was meaningful. Not in that sense, but inspired in the sense of the scriptures come directly from God. Okay, breathed out by God. So that yes, God used human authors, but what we have here are the very words of God. Scripture very simply is from God. Likely this verse here is specifically referring to the Old Testament. And yet we see in uh, the very early days of the church, they started to see the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the letters of the New Testament as authoritative, on par with the Old Testament, inspired, the inspired word of God. And so simply put then, this, this book is not just a human book. Okay, that's what we believe as Christians, one of our convictions. If if this is the inspired Word of God, it means that it's not just a human book. Not just, yes, human authors wrote it, but not just human authors. It's the Word of God. So that, yes, God, working through human authors, gave us His Word so that what we have here is exactly what God intended to be there. Not just some of it is trustworthy and then we kind of got mixed up in it and kind of, you know, screwed it up. So maybe half of it is believable and the other half is just us. Like the parts about the no bacon thing in the Old Testament, like that's definitely something we got wrong, but then the rest of it is from God. Um, no, not just some of it, not just some of it is to be accepted, but all of it is from God is because it's God-breathed. All scripture, verse 16 says, even the parts that are hard for us to come to terms with, even the parts that offend us, that we don't like. Because all scripture is from God. And friends, this is why we preach from the Bible at FBC. This is why we we teach the Bible here on Sunday mornings. This is why in our youth group, our students study the Bible with Pastor Kyle. This is why our kids' curriculum is centered around scripture because we don't want to just give you like mats. musings (laughs) musings <laughs> you know you don't you don't want on sunday you're not here on sunday morning to hear we're like let's see like what matt this you know 31 year old has to think about all these different life situations we don't want that you don't want that that's not why we're here we're here to together jump into the word and say so like give me what the word says lord i want to hear from you that's why i'm here not just this 31 year old punk kid i'm not here to listen to him I, I, I hear you we're, we're here to jump into the word of God, and hear from God directly. I mean, how amazing is that? Let's just, can we stop for a second and think about how incredible this is? I mean, we, we spend so much time on, on social media or on Twitter, and I wonder what, you know, what this person is saying today or what this author has to say about this issue or, or what my friend is kind of commenting on or what their day is like. And we, we, we care about all these different things that other people say, and here we have the very words of God We can open up this book, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can hear from God. The creator and sustainer of the universe, almighty God, who loves us so much, has spoken, and we can read this and and hear his voice. It's amazing. What? What? What a gift. And sometimes I feel so foolish that I spend so much time scrolling on social media or doing everything else I'm like, I have the very words of God in my hands. Wow. <coughs> John Stott, the, the author and theologian put it this way. He said, we need to repent of the haughty way in which we sometimes stand in judgment upon Scripture and must learn to sit humbly under its judgments instead. If we come to Scripture with our minds made up, expecting to hear from it only an echo of our own thoughts and never the the thunderclap of God's, then indeed he will not speak to us and we shall only be confirmed in our own prejudices. We must allow the word of God to confront us, to disturb our security, to undermine our complacency and to overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. We must allow the word of God to confront us. I love how he puts this, how so often we stand in judgment over the scriptures. I don't like this, or I don't like this, or I'm not going to obey that, when instead we need to come and place ourselves humbly under its judgment and let it read us and let God use it to convict and change and challenge us. And So I ask you, friends, are you willing to go where the Bible takes you? Are you willing to go where the Bible takes you and embrace what the Bible teaches, even if it offends you, even if you don't like it? say, Lord, this is from you. And so I'm going to trust you and your word, even if it's going to force me to change some things. And here's the deal. No matter what culture or society uh, you are from throughout history, the Bible is going to confront and going to convict and going to challenge the way you look at the world. No matter who you are. So are we willing to let it take us where it takes us? Now, Really briefly, I just want to speak to some of the, the common objections that we hear today about the Bible. This is, again, we, we believe in the authority of Scripture. This book is the inspired Word of God. Now, some, a lot of modern people would say, well, that's crazy. That's silly. Why are you putting so much trust in this book? That doesn't make sense. And here's some of the objections that they raise. One of the things people will say today is, well, the Bible was written a, a long time ago, but it was especially written after the events happened. It was like, you know, 300 years after things happened. In the 300s, a bunch of old guys got together and put these manuscripts together, and that's how we got the Bible. Just some guys who wanted power way later than the events in the 300s. That's not true. It's just simply not historically accurate. The Gospels and the letters of the New Testament were written pretty early, uh, in the first century, within the lifetime of the apostles and the eyewitnesses to these events. And so there's really good evidence and scholarship out there to believe that the the documents of the New Testament were written quite early and, and shaped the life of the early church in the first century. And so it wasn't just like, hey, a couple hundred years later, some guys wrote some stuff down. But it was actually very early in the lifetime of these apostles while the church was was growing, not just some later fabrication. Another objection you'll hear today is that, well, uh, the Bible contains all kinds of, of translation errors. You know, it's been translated uh, over and over again throughout the generations and centuries. And so we don't actually know what was really written down. It's, so, it's hopelessly corrupt. That's not true, though. Again, Bible scholars can look at the, the manuscripts and the textual evidence that we have, and note that sure, there are some minor textual variants, the majority of which are like a word is spelled a little different in one manuscript, or um, you know there 's a grammar issue, or the word order is a little bit different, but none of those variations uh, significantly affect any point of theology, bring any real issue into question. There are all these like minor grammatical errors that we know about, that we can look at and and point out and say, yeah, we see why that happened. But scholars will note that the text of the New Testament has been remarkably well-preserved, remarkably well-translated with very little variation. Again, there's really good scholarship on this. Uh, Craig Blomberg from Denver Seminary, one of the top New Testament scholars in the world, has books, he's written about the historical reliability of the New Testament, uh, wrote a book recently in the past couple of years called Can We Still Believe the Bible, which has great scholarship around these issues, that we can have uh, confidence that what we have today is remarkably, overwhelmingly close and accurate to what the original documents said. Well, then some people say, well, you know what? The Bible really wasn't intended to be taken as history. You know, people were writing myths just like people in the ancient world do, but that is not true. Go read some ancient myths and the once upon a time type stuff you see in the world. uh, Most historians and scholars will say, like, that's not what the Bible is. Especially when you read the New Testament, the gospel accounts, these read like history with like real people, with real dates and real events it's not like this once upon a time mythical stuff that the authors of the bible clearly were concerned with portraying that hey these things actually happened and they include some details in there one that are like really specific and two some things that are kind of embarrassing the sort of thing like if you were making a myth or just making this up why would you include that detail about how embarrassing the disciples were okay so there's good reason to believe that these are they intended to write history Now, maybe you'll say, hey, well, the Bible is internally inconsistent. There's all these contradictions. You know, the Bible says one thing, and then it says the other thing somewhere else. It can't, it can't even get its own story straight. To that, again, a New Testament author, or not New Testament author, New Testament scholar, Craig Blomberg, said, Not a single supposed contradiction has gone without someone proposing a reasonably plausible resolution. Sometimes we think that like the contradictions we think we see in scripture, like we're the first generation to ever find them. Like there's great scholarship out there on on how some of these apparent contradictions within the Bible can be reconciled. Saying not a single contradiction that you'll find in there uh, has has gone without someone proposing a, a reasonably plausible resolution. And in fact, if you look, like if you just Google online, like contradictions in the Bible, and you read through the list, like, so many of them are just like simple misunderstandings or shows that whoever put the list together didn't really even try to think this one through. Like there's some really reasonable ways to resolve this. Like sometimes they'll look at Genesis 1 and 2. and say, look, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 say that the order of the creation account, the order of the creation events were different. And so Genesis 1 disagrees with Genesis 2. And so look, they're back to back. And how, how can we even take this seriously? It's contradicting itself. But again, if we understand what the author of Genesis 1 and 2 is trying to do, we see that in Genesis 1 and 2, they're talking about the same events just from a different angle. There's a theological point that they're making. They're not being uh, as precise chronologically as maybe we uh, assume initially. So it's really easy to say, okay, I see what they're doing in Genesis 1, and and yeah, and I see what he's trying to do in Genesis 2, and it's not a contradiction at all. Now, some people will say, hey, we have uh, cultural issues with the Bible, I don't like that the Bible is anti-women. Well, actually, that's not really true. And the early Christians were known for honoring women, for upholding the equality and dignity of women. That's why women so often flocked to the church and to Christianity because we, uh, the church celebrated the contributions of women. Or Some people say, well, the Bible just promotes injustice and oppression. But that's not true. The Bible is full of texts where God calls his people to justice. He calls out injustice. He tells us to protect the poor, protect the vulnerable, protect the immigrant. And in fact, a Christian worldview is what birthed uh, the idea of human rights and the dignity of all people that didn't come from the Romans or from the Greeks or some uh, Eastern worldview that came from a biblical worldview. And some people will say, well, I don't like what the Bible has to say about about gender and sexuality. To which we say, okay, you might not like what the Bible has to say there. But does that mean that it's not true? If the Bible is truly God's word, then wouldn't we expect it to confront us on some things? Wouldn't we expect it to say some things that would challenge the way we view the world? Would we expect to come and read something that is 100% what we already thought about the world? Again, as I said before, every culture is going to be confronted and convicted by God's Word. So friends, there's so much more we could say about this. If you have doubts or questions about the Bible or objections to trusting it, I would love to talk with you. There's some great resources out there, great ways we could talk through some of these questions. But I do want you to notice that the point of Paul saying this is not just to say, hey, in some abstract sense, this is the word of God and we should trust it. And, you know, systematic theology textbooks are going to say, the Bible is inspired, it's inerrant, and let's just remember that. He's saying there's a real a purpose to what he's writing here, okay? He's saying scripture is from God and therefore it's trustworthy, it's useful for teaching, uh, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness, he says. In verse 16 and 17. So, Timothy, the idea is that scripture... Uh, because it's from God, you can trust it and that it'll equip you uh, with the knowledge of the truth. It'll help you live faithfully before God. Remember, Paul is sitting down with Timothy before Paul goes away. He's packed a lunch for Timothy. Timothy's about to grab his egos and go off to school or go on some adventure. And he's giving him a little pep talk saying, Timothy, I don't want you just to, to know things about the Bible. Remember the word of God. Apply the truth of Scripture to your life. Let it guide you. Verse 17, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And friends, I've, I've referenced this study several times. But they recently, in the past several years, did a study about the impact of certain, fa- certain things on your spiritual growth. So like, what is it that helps people grow spiritually? And they found that there was one thing that far and away, more than anything else, helped people grow spiritually. And it was that people who regularly read their Bibles and reflected on the truth of Scripture was the one thing that made more of an impact than anything else. So if churches and if pastors could help their people or motivate their people to do only one thing, to help people at all levels of spiritual maturity grow, the choice is clear. They would inspire and encourage people to read their Bibles. This is the word of God. It's what God uses to shape us, to, to challenge us, to change us, to mold us into his image. And so I ask you, do you, know, do you know the Bible? I know sometimes this book is a little intimidating. but We don't consume it all at once, right? We, over a lifetime, I take bits and bits and work through it so that over the months and over the years, over time, we grow to understand it. It takes time. It takes work. Yes, there's some confusing stuff in there, I understand. And this will look different depending on where you are in your walk with God. But I want to encourage you to make the commitment to read your Bible. Like, it's really really simple. And, And pastors say it all the time, but it's really important. Read your Bible. This is why as a church we have this uh, New Testament reading plan we've been in for 2020 where, hey, this year we're going to read through the whole New Testament. You can find that on our website. We're, we're ramping down. We're almost done with it and we'll have to look at what 2021 is going to look like. But friends, we want to together say we're going to be people of the book who read it and let it shape us. And friends, that's also why we preach the way that we do. Again, that's why we go through books of the Bible. Because Again, I just want you to see what God is saying, not, not just scattered verses here and there, I pull a verse here, pull a verse here, but really just, let's just learn to read the Bible together. Let's, let's just walk through a book and see kind of how it flows and what it, it teaches us. Friends, I, I'm never going to forget back in college, I remember I was you know reading a lot of books on theology and, and, and what different pastors and authors were saying about things, and it was a little overwhelming, and I said to one of the ministry leaders in our college ministry you know, i just, there's just so many opinions out there. I mean, like Pastor A says this and Pastor B says this and they say this is the truth and they say this. And they have all these different opinions about the Bible about what that means today. And I just, how am I ever going to read all these books? How am I ever going to get around to, to understanding all the arguments and all the things that are out there? And, and I remember, he sat me down he's like, look, don't worry so much about what every author and pastor has to say. What I want you to focus on is this book know this book really, really well. Now, that could be taken to be oversimplified and say, well, yeah, hey, just close your ears to what pastors are saying and just read the Bible by yourself. That's not what he was meaning. But he was just saying, hey, don't get overwhelmed by trying to, to read every other book that's out there on theology. Just, just really, really know this book because the Word of God is what's going to equip you and train you and shape you and grow you and help you be the man of God that God wants you to be. So at church, would you make a commitment with me to, to reading your Bible daily? So here in chapter 3, we're closing up chapter 3 now, right? Paul says, hey, in verses 1 through 9, things are going to get crazy. Be ready for the difficult times ahead. Verses 10 to 13, remember the example that I've set for you. And now this morning we've seen in 14 through 17, and remember God's word. Let it guide you. Let it shape you. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of of your word, that all scripture is God-breathed. It's from you. It teaches us, it trains us, it equips us, it corrects us. So Jesus, I pray that you would help us know our Bibles, not just for the sake of information, not just for the sake of being puffed up with knowledge, but that we might more faithfully follow you. That we would apply it to our lives, that we would live godly lives that are honoring to you, Jesus, that you would stay as the focus of our hearts. We need your help. We pray that you guide us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.